Friends, 483 days. That's how long it's been since we uh, decided and pivoted about a year and a half ago to go to an online service only on March 15th. Today feels most like the pre-pandemic experience than it has in the last 483 days. And over those 483 days, we've had to make a lot of really, really hard decisions a lot of really, really hard choices, and not everybody has agreed with the way we've gone about it. Some of you sitting in this room have not agreed about the way we've gone about it. I know that. <laughs> You've let me know. It's okay. Thank you. There's a wide spectrum, isn't there? Still, even there's a wide spectrum of how the world should be handling this pandemic that we are in. And it's really, really hard to lead an organization through something like this. You guys may not have known this. I did not take a class in seminary called How to Lead Through a Global Pandemic. (laughs) It would have been helpful, probably more than the Greek and Hebrew I took, right? But on March 15th, 483 days ago, we decided to change our Sunday morning gathering in an effort to, well, this vine is wonderful, but it's kind of... Kind of, uh, I'm going to have to change some things here. There we go. Let's see here. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I like the vine. It's kind of cool. I kind of like the vine. It's kind of fun. But So you, you guys may have heard, right? Two weeks to lower the curve. That's all we're going to do. Two weeks to lower the curve. We'll be back by Easter, I said. <laughs> Two weeks to lower the curve. We had no idea how many changes would come, how many decisions we were going to have to make. And leading through this last year and a half with very strong opinions about politics and race and injustice, science and mask, mitigations and social distancing and all, it has been taxing, it has been exhausting. And as the dust begins to settle, here's what ecclesiologists, now ecclesiologists are just, that's a fancy word of saying those people who study church, right? Church movements, how the church is doing in America and throughout the world. Here's what they're realizing. Something I think that we've known all along, but I think now we're being met with a very stark reality. Most Christians choose their church out of personal preference, not corporate mission. This is not just, you know, us who's realizing. This is, this is like worldwide ecclesiologists are realizing this is taking place. So let's just play a little game. You guys want to play a little game with me this morning? You okay with that? Okay. Uh, those online, you can play along too, by the way. You just t- type your responses in the comments if you're, if you're with us online. According to exit interviews, do you guys know that churches sometimes do exit interviews? If someone is maybe mature enough to let a church know why they are leaving that church, they will maybe sometimes do an exit interview. Hey, tell me why you're leaving. Tell us about your insights. Why, why are you deciding to leave? According to exit interviews, what are the most important factors as to why Christians choose their church? I just want you to put these in order for me, okay? Look at this, uh, look at this list, okay? Here we, go, here we go. We have kids and youth ministry. We have the feel, right? Like, we have VBS feel. Like, how many churches have a VBS vibe, right? No, we can't, we can't have, like, a woodsy, kind of folksy feel to us, right? The wooded background, the Edison lights. We play acoustic, kind of chiller music, right? Okay. Quality of the preaching, Music, quality, and style, the purpose and the mission of the church, the location of the church, the community, right, what can you experience as regards to how we gather, theology and the beliefs, and it's interesting, this, this is uh, also including like how, how 
political vocal, politically vocal that church is, what they choose to talk about culturally, things like that. And then various opportunities just to plug in. So let's play a little game. What do you think is the number one reason why most Christians choose their church? Anybody want to take a guess? Haven't heard it yet. Preaching. Which puts an awful lot of pressure on what I do every Sunday morning. <clears throat> Preaching. I don't like what that preacher said. I don't like his style. I don't like that he's wearing flip-flops. I don't like that he's, he wears VBS t-shirts. He's not wearing a suit and tie. I've talked about this, right? I, I've been to churches where I was told to leave because I wasn't dressed, right? And I've preached at churches who, I, who told me I had to go home to get a colored shirt before I could come back and preach to their congregation. Um, theology and beliefs take number two. Interesting, right? But uh, they took these interviews during the pandemic, which I think is interesting because so many tensions about politics and race and injustice and everything rose to the surface. And so it wasn't so much that, hey, I don't like the fact that, you know, I I agree completely theologically with my church. It's just that I don't like that they said something about that candidate, you know, or they don't support that candidate outright, you know, so something like that. Number three, anybody want to take a guess? Oh, thank you. Okay, number three, music. The music quality. I don't like the style. It's not good enough, et cetera, et cetera. Number four, anybody want to guess? You guys don't have them in front of you anymore, so it might be hard to remember. Kids. Yes, kids. Kids and youth programs. There's nothing for my kid here. I don't like the way that they go about it. Number five is the feel. I love those LEDs. I want to go to a church with fog machines, right? (laughs) I want to go to a church with an LED screen and fog machines and restoration. You don't have that, so I'm leaving, okay? And here's where it gets interesting, all right? Community. It's number six. So far down, isn't it? Isn't that odd? Location makes sense, right? Location, I don't, I'm not going to go to church that's an hour away from me, right? I want to be a church in our community. That makes sense. Opportunities. Uh, There's nothing for me to get plugged into. And then last but not least, the purpose and the mission. So here's what I find fascinating about this study. It reveals that most Christians are least concerned with community, with getting plugged in, with the opportunities provided me, with the purpose and the mission. And really, more people are more concerned about personal preference. The preaching isn't my style. The music isn't my style. My, my, my. The kids' ministry doesn't suit my needs, et cetera, et cetera. And the reason most Christians don't care, right, about what the church is accomplishing, right, the, the community, the opportunities, the purpose, and the mission, why wow, that's so far at the bottom. The reason most Christians don't care about what the church is accomplishing is because on average, and maybe you know this, right, this is a, a, a very generic statistic, 20% of church attenders don't partner in purpose and mission anyway. 80% of those who go to church consume their Sunday morning experience a couple times a month and call it good. So, of course, if you are in it for yourself, if you are coming to this place to consume a product, if you are coming to this place to say, hey, I want to be better at my life, that is all that I am in it for, then, of course, if the preaching doesn't suit your needs, if the music doesn't suit your needs, then it doesn't matter. You're in it for you anyway. If you're in it for yourselves, if you have no intent of getting plugged in or of serving, if you don't believe that you are an integral part of accomplishing our mission, then personal preference will always take priority 
over purpose and mission because in the end, you go to church for you. You do not go to church for others. You don't go to church for your neighbor. You don't go to church for your community at large. You do not go to church because you want to be part of something bigger than yourself. So let's just be honest, right? Studies show that most Christians go to church to consume a product, not to join a mission. Studies show that most Christians go to church to consume a product, not to join a mission. And as we crawl out of this global pandemic, what every pastor in the world is seeing is this fact becoming manifest in who their churches now are. Because when the product is taken away, but the mission remains, and my friends, it has remained, right? We have continued to be on mission as Restoration Church. In new and profound ways, we have continued to be on mission even when the product had to shift. Even when this Sunday morning thing, this, this, this little sliver of what we do as Restoration Church had to shift to online, right? We continued on with our mission. We continued to preach the gospel. We continued to reach our community. We continued to be the church even if this Sunday morning thing had to shift to an online experience only. But those who are committed to the mission have stuck around. And they've risen up to the new challenges. See, our reality is that we have no idea now who makes up the body of Restoration Church. It's just, it's just a fact, right? And, and most churches are in this same scenario. We just have no idea who is still with us. What we know is that some people have left. What we know is that some people have come. That's really all we know, which simply means the restoration that was in early 2020 is not the same restoration that we are going to experience in July 2021. Because the people make up the body, and the people have changed. For those of you who have come and have stayed with us, I believe that you have done so because you are more interested in the bottom part of that list, the purpose, the community, the opportunities, the mission, what we're about as a local church, than you are with the top half. I mean, my preaching is phenomenal. I know that, and that's what sticks you around, but like, I know it's not that good, right? I know there are better communicators out there. I know our music is really good, right? But like, There are professional music bands out there. There are ways that you can consume better products. But for those of you who have stuck around, you do so because you believe in what restoration is about. You believe what God is doing here to reach our community and to build you up to be like Christ. Amen? Yeah. You are here because you love this community. You love what God is doing here. And you want to grow with this community and you want to help us be change agents within our community. You want to see this region change for the kingdom of God. And that's why I believe that you have stuck around. So thank you. I am excited to be on mission with you. And so today and the next two Sundays, we are going to begin a series titled Better Together. Mario is better with Luigi, isn't he? Like individually, they're just, they're, they're weaker, even though you can usually only play one player at a time. Like they're better. To, okay. I don't, I'm stop there. All right. So, so here's, a, here's another thing that ecclesiologists are recognizing as we move out of the pandemic. The online option is great. It, it, ser- it serves our, our mission in reaching those who are far from Christ in really, really profound ways. It provides those who are traveling on Sunday. It provides those who have to be elsewhere, who work maybe on Sunday mornings or, or have to be um, in the office or have to be at the hospital or have to be somewhere else, right? It provides those people who do not have an opportunity to gather with us on Sunday an opportunity to do so. But ecclesiologists are also starting to realize that it also can be, not always, it's not universal, can be a crutch for the comfortable. 
And in a world where going to church is already pretty low on the priorities, I mean, think about it. My son had a 9 a.m. baseball game today in North Jersey. And so I called my friend last night and be like, can you pick him up? Yeah, 6.30, I'm going to be there. Get him ready. In a world that, oh, they are good. Okay. In a world where the church is already pretty low on the priority list, we don't, we don't need any help in, <laughs> in making church hard to get to. We just don't, right? I mean, I mean, think of all the things. You got birth- How many of you have ever had a birthday invitation for your kid on a Sunday morning? Show of hands here? Yeah, okay. How many of you have ever had to go to a sporting event on a Sunday morning? How many of you have ever chose to go to an Eagles tailgating on Sunday morning? Yeah, okay. You can be honest. That's all right. Right? We do not need any help in making church hard to get to on Sunday morning. The only incentive that I can really offer you as a communicator of the gospel is one, the gospel is community, inspiration, encouragement, the honor of worshiping the God who loves you and is for you. But for a lot of people, these just aren't enough. Because if church is just something you consume, then you do it when it's available, and you do it when it's convenient. But if churches is something that you consume, right, and you sing a couple songs together and you just half listen to the messages anyway, then what does it really matter what we offer you in the end? But if the church is a body on mission together, a church is the body on mission together, chasing after Christ together and accomplishing something of profound importance in our community, then the gathering, my friends, this thing that we do together is of most importance. And today, and over the next two weeks, the three-part series, we'll get to what the third one is going to be like in just a minute. Over the next two weeks, I want to explore two reasons why the author of Hebrews pleaded with his community to not give up meeting together as so many got into the habit of doing. A couple years ago, I was in a car accident. I shared the story a few weeks ago. A couple years ago, I was in a car accident. I was sitting in the left turn lane, waiting to make a left turn, when a van swerved into my lane and tore off the side of my car. After all the damage was assessed, the man who hit me got on the phone with his wife. And though I didn't hear all of what he said, I did hear that he complained about his van always drifting left. You guys ever experienced this before when your alignment is off in your vehicle and you just take your hand off the steering wheel and all of a sudden your car starts to swerve, either left or, or maybe right? And in this case, he was like, hey, yeah, you know, I took my hand off the wheel for just a brief second. Now, he didn't tell his wife that he was texting and driving, right? That's the reason why he took his hand off the wheel. Uh, but he took his hand off the wheel and, he, and he, he, his focus was on his phone and not the road and he just swerved into my car. His, his van naturally swerved into destruction. His van naturally swerved into ruin. He gave up control. He stopped being intentional, and his van swerved into destruction. My friends, when we give up control, we do the same thing. When we're not intentional, when we stop being intentional about steering our lives towards Christ, did you know that your life will naturally swerve towards destruction? Your life will naturally swerve towards ruin when you stop being intentional about steering your life towards Christ. We will always drift towards selfishness. We will always drift towards animal behavior. So the first reason we ought to not give up gathering together is because the gathering is a guardrail. This thing that we do here on Sunday mornings, and not just here, right? We have so many other opportunities for you to gather in house groups and courses and studies and all, so many other opportunities for you to gather on teams The gathering is a guardrail for your life to stay focused on Christ because when it is not focused on Christ, your life will naturally swerve towards destruction. 
A guardrail, when you're drifting, simply keeps you on the road, doesn't it? Instead of plummeting over that cliff to your death, the guardrail will keep you on your road. And so how does gathering do this? And so here's the whole verse. If you've never read Hebrews 10, here's the whole verse. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And so notice that the author of Hebrew is saying, there is a juxtaposition between your gathering and your loving ability and your good deeds ability. There is a juxtaposition, there is an intentional connection between your gathering and your love. That's what he's saying. Don't give up not don't, don't give up gathering, as so many in the habit of doing, because when you do that, you will fail to love. You will fail to be a person who is doing good for others. So let me ask you a question. Where in your life, think, think about this, and I really want you to take an inventory of this. Think about this for just a minute. Where in your life, who in your life, when in your life are you encouraged to grow deeper in love and to do more good? Who, who encourages you in doing that? Where are you encouraged to do that? When are you encouraged to do that? I, as you're thinking about it, let, let me tell you this. I, I asked my nine-year-old son on our way to this tournament that he's playing in um, yesterday. I said, hey, hey Luke, where, where, when, who in your life encourages you to be more committed to love? And he's like, well, you and mom. First thing comes out of his life, you and my mom. I'm like, oh, you know, that's, 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 that's nice, you know? That, that makes me feel good. Not everybody is as blessed by that, by the way, like that may not be the answer that comes to your mind immediately. Like mom and dad, no, they didn't encourage me to love. They didn't encourage me that way. But he said, my parents. And then immediately on the heels of that response, he said, the church. Of course, the church. My parents on one hand and the church on the other. These are the people who inspire me and encourage me to, to be deeper committed to love and to be deeper committed to doing good in my community. And I was like, okay, great. That's great, Luke. Where, where else? Uh, nowhere. <laughs> he had nowhere else. I mean, think about this, guys. Answer the question for yourself. Where in your life are you encouraged and inspired to be deeper, more deeply committed to love and more deeply committed to doing good? I guarantee you HBO Max isn't doing it for you. Guarantee you Netflix rarely, rarely does it, depending on what you watch for you. The baseball team, whom, whom our kids are a part of, right, we consider them like a second family, like a third family, right? Restoration is our, is our family. They're another family. Like, they don't encourage us to do it. I doubt many of you could even say your places of work, like your coworkers, your boss. I doubt many of them even would say that they do it. Where are you encouraged, spurred on towards love and good deeds? I would hope that you would say, the church. I would, I would hope that would be your response, right? Because I, I doubt that there are many other places that do it for you. Is that true? There just aren't many communities, there aren't many people who are intentional about helping you become better at loving others and more committed to doing good. But why does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, here's the thing, my friends. Love is what sets us apart as humans. Think about this for just a minute. Love is what sets us apart as humans. It's interesting. If you read Genesis, you'll notice that both humanity and the animals are made from the same dirt. God breathes the same breath of life into both animals and humans, but he does something very unique to humanity that sets them apart from all the others. What does he do? He creates them in his own image. 
And all that means is that he pours his very essence, his very life, his very character, and his very self, he pours that into humanity to make them genuinely and uniquely human, set apart from all of the other animals in the, very, in, in, in the world. We become human because we are like God. We are made in his image to be like God, to function like God. The God who John told us is love, in 1 John 4, 8, God is love, he pours his very self into us, and he says, now run on this fuel, run on the fuel of love. But we don't, right? And it doesn't take long to look at our own lives and to do a little inventory of our own lives to recognize that we don't do this very often. Because we have chosen self-prioritization, we have chosen self-centeredness, we have chosen self-reign at the expense of self-sacrificial, other-oriented love that does good for others. It's an intentional choice that humanity made to choose themselves over the love of God within them. Selfishness, in other words, is our default. We will always drift. If we stop being intentional about pursuing the God who is love, we will always drift towards selfishness. We will always drift towards our own destruction. Our hearts will be steered towards selfishness. We will naturally choose the self and our wants and our own personal betterment above others if we are not intentional about steering our life towards Christ. We will have abandoned God's image and naturally resort back to animal-like behavior. We've all seen what this looks like, right? Uh, When two people are arguing at each other and bickering at each other. What do we call that? We call it catty or animals. We just bite each other and claw each other. We're like animals. And if we are not intentional about steering our life towards Christ, we will drift towards animal-like behavior. For some reason, when we're offended, the natural inclination is to offend back. And when we are hit, the natural inclination is to hit back. And for some reason, humility and peace and kindness and patience in the face of adversity is challenging. And that reason is because love is from God. And all love's expressions are divine abilities as gift given to God. But the animal in us is all about survival. And so we have a choice. Are we going to drift towards the animal? Are we going to drift towards that instinctual, selfish protection? Or are we going to steer our lives intentionally towards Christ and his love? If you want to be intentionally steering your life in love, the way that God had designed you to be as a human being upon this planet, you have a few responsibilities. At every juncture, at every decision, at every step that you make, I want you to first pray. Because love is a divine attribute. It is an ability that God has gifted us that is embedded within his own art and his own ability, and he gives it to us. Love is from God, John wrote. Love is from God. He gifts it to us as a gift that makes us human. And so we must pray that God would empower our love. And then when we pray, we must ask ourselves then the very simple question, what does love require of me? And because you laid that question in prayer, you will always then be inspired and spurred on by God's spirit to follow through, to accomplishing it. First pray, and then ask, what does God, what does love require of me? And in those moments when the struggle to choose love is extraordinarily challenging, you guys have felt this, right? I do not think I can love this person in this moment. You guys have been there before? It might be your kid, it might be an ex, it might be an enemy, it might be somebody that, a coworker at work. When you feel like you can't do it, when there is no inspiration, when you struggle to do it, you need those that are around you who are also steering their life towards love and towards Christ to spur you on toward love. 
But where are you inspired to do this? Where do those people come from? When in your day full of work and stress and responsibility and commitment and people who are not on the same pursuit as you, when you go to work and you interact with your family who there is a lot of tension with, where in your day, who in your day is going to inspire you to love? Isn't it your fellow followers of Jesus who are also trying to steer their life into love? And if you are not in community with those people, if you are not gathering with those people, then when, when you find love so extraordinarily challenging, are you going to be able to be spurred on if you do not have those people consistently in your life? I mean, think for a minute why the author of Hebrews thought keeping his community together was so important. Right? They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have telephones or email to communicate and encourage one another to spur one another on towards love and becoming the most genuinely human people possible. If you wanted to encourage your friend or talk to your friend, there are two ways that you could do it in the, in the first century. You could write a letter. It's very expensive to do that in their day, by the way. Or you could gather in a home and encourage each other and prod each other and support each other and spur one another on towards love and good deeds. In their day, there was one way community could happen, and that was to meet together. And here's the thing. Even with the threat of constant persecution, which they all were under, like meeting together was actually very dangerous because the Romans were targeting Christians. They were targeting those churches. They were targeting those Christian communities who were trying to do this. So meeting together was very dangerous. But the author of Hebrews says, come on, guys. You need to continue to gather because there is nowhere else that is going to spur you on to being human other than the Christian community, and so you must gather. Otherwise, you will drift, you will slide to your own destruction. And when I hear things like, well, you know what, I, I have a deep personal relationship with God, and I, just, I don't feel like I need the church. You guys ever heard that before? Maybe you felt it before. Or, you know, I do personal Bible study. I have personal prayer time, so I don't need the Christian community. I, I respond, I say, well, you know, that's all well and good, but it misunderstands the very nature of the Christian faith, and it misunderstands the very nature of love. Your personal tie to God is not the only element of your spiritual life that matters. You see, love is born from a communal God so did you know that you will never fully know love outside of community? And if we are genuinely human when we are loving, then we need community in order then to be genuinely human. You can't do it on your own. Your own personal tie to God is not the only part about your spiritual life that matters. And if you choose to disengage and unplug from others who can spur you on, if you think that you can follow Christ on your own outside of regular connection and inspiration of your community— you will fail to love and therefore fail to be genuinely human. Because love, yes, can be theorized about in isolation. In theory, we can theorize about love in isolation. We can talk about it. We can think on it. We can pray on it. We can, we can come up with ideas about what it might look like to love people. But you cannot live love in isolation. By its very definition, love requires a plurality of persons for it to be real. You can theorize about love in isolation. You cannot live love in isolation. And so, my friends, I just want to challenge you to prioritize being here. Not, not for the sake, I don't, I don't, you're not puffing me up, right? I don't want this huge mega church 
That's not why I, I need you to prioritize being here. I want you to prioritize being here so that you can be spurred on towards love and good deeds because I don't think there are many other places within our society, within our culture, that are going to do that for you. And that doesn't mean that your kids can't play travel sports, and that doesn't mean that you can't go on vacation, and that doesn't mean that you can't sleep in from time to time, right? That's not what I'm trying to say here. I'm just saying that you need to learn to make this place, and not just this place, our groups, our courses, our teams, all of the things that make us us, you need to prioritize this because there are not many places within our community that are going to spur you on towards loving good deeds. There are not many people within our community who are going to encourage you to be genuinely human except here. And so friends, that's my challenge to you today, is to prioritize being here. Prioritize the gathering. And you might be thinking, okay, well, um, yeah, that's all well and good. One little tablespoon in my mouth a week on Sunday mornings, not what I need, right? I need more. I need more consistency. Well, I want to challenge you also this way. I'm going to invite the band forward. We're going to sing one final song. We got a couple minutes left. We're going to do this. If you have a smartphone and you can scan this QR code, Right there. You should be able to do that. That's going to pop you up to a form. And this is just an interest form. Yeah, Sunday mornings are great. We love what we do Sunday mornings. We believe in what God is doing here Sunday mornings. There's one on the back wall, too, if that's easy for you guys. Um, but if, if you want to get into a smaller community, I was talking to a friend this week, and she was saying, I love Sunday mornings, yes, but it's the small community. It's the, it's the table conversations, right? It's the, it's the small group. It's the Bible study. It's the one-on-one conversations, mentoring opportunities, things like that, that are really the most transformative, and I believe that as well. And so this is just a form that's going to take you to an interest. Yeah, I'm interested in serving on a team because our teams aren't just like I show up on Sunday morning and do something or I show up in an event and do something. We are a team. We're trying to become families. Teams, RC Kids, hospitality, our, our service into the community, all sorts of teams that we have. Beyond that, I have an interest in start getting into a starting point or a course that we're offering, maybe this fall. Or I want to get into a house group or a Bible study. That's all the form is. Yes, Sunday mornings are very, very important. But beyond Sunday mornings, I want to get plugged into a small group of people who are going to really know me and spur me on towards love and good deeds. I am so excited to be back with you, friends. Not that we've ever been gone, right? But, like, this feels really, really good. And we need to continue to invite our friends can invite those who you haven't seen in a while to join you because isn't, I mean, online family, I love you, right? But isn't this just good, guys? Isn't it good to be here in person? Let the online community know how good it is, right? And friends, if you ever only stay online because that's what you're able to do, then, then that's okay if it's a conviction of your heart. But I want to challenge you to gather here because you will be spurred on towards love and good deeds in this place, and you won't be many other places in the world.